Thank you for listening to Embassy City Church's audio podcast. We pray God speaks to you through this message and His Word today. For more information on our church, please visit us at embassycity.com. So, um, if you have your Bibles, I want you to go to the book of Matthew, chapter number 28. We have been in a series this month called This Is Us. And basically what we're doing is we're taking a topic every single month uh, to talk about uh, uh, something that makes Embassy City, Embassy City. Something that makes us, us. And uh, the first weekend we talked about diversity. Last weekend we talked about doctrine. It was our three-year anniversary. How many people were here for that? It was fantastic. The baptisms were glorious. We had um, over 20 people that spontaneously got baptized on top of those that, that registered to be baptized. Uh, and the grilled cheese the grilled cheese sandwiches were amazing. Was there anybody beside me that had a grilled cheese sandwich? That was a surprise. I didn't see that coming. The Bible says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. And that day, he was in the grilled cheese sandwich. So it was absolutely amazing. Um, So we talked about doctrine. This weekend, for all of my nerds, write this down. This weekend, we are talking about discipleship. I want to talk to you about discipleship. One of the things that makes Embassy City Church, Embassy City Church, is that we are serious about discipleship. So I want to read you a passage uh, in Matthew chapter number 28, and then... Uh, we'll we'll go straight into uh, what I feel like the Lord gave me this weekend. So here's what it says, Matthew chapter number 28, verse number 19. This is after Jesus brings him up on the top of a mountain. He says this, Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Go make disciples of all the nations. Now, if you want to make a really quick note right here, you can put the word disciple an equal sign, and this word immediately after it, follower. That's all a disciple of Jesus is, is a follower of Jesus. When we talk about discipleship, we are talking about people who are, who are going to uh, uh, give their life to follow the direction that Jesus Christ is going. It's amazing to me that, that 2,018 years after uh, his death and resurrection, that, 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 that we would live in a culture that's big on finding out who's following them. That little blue bird is, 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 is a metric system to figure out who's following you. Instagram is set up in such a way to see how many people you can get to follow you. How many friends do you have on Facebook? It's all a metric system to see what your social imprint is, what your social influence is uh, uh, in the world around you. How many people are following you? How, how many people are, are, are trending? What, what cultural patterns are trending and going on? What are people following? Which way are people going? Technology has gotten to the point where it's telling us, it is reading us, it is listening to you right now to figure out what you like so that they can tailor something to get you to follow their product or their cultural pattern. I am afraid, I'm going to tell you up front right now, to look at my cell phone in the next three hours. 
Because I just talked about a grilled cheese sandwich. And later on this afternoon, when I'm back at home and perusing through social media, there's going to be an ad for a grilled cheese sandwich on my phone. It's creepy. It's a violation of my privacy. But I do want to know where to get that grilled cheese sandwich. Everything in technology now, everything in the digital space now is, is about geomapping where we think you're going to go, who we think you're going to be with, what your preferences and your, what your tastes are, so that we can find a way to get you to follow what it is we want you to follow. That's the culture that we live in. Well, well they, they got that from somewhere. Jesus said two words to people, follow me. Before he can even introduce himself good, he just walks up to people, follow me. People are at their place of work, follow me. They're at their place of business, hey, you, follow me. There's a tax collector in a booth collecting taxes. He's like, get out of there and follow me. What's amazing is they did it. They never turned back. Discipleship is about following the teachings and the life of Jesus. But what's always amazed me about Jesus' leadership style is the way he vets those that follow him. And he says something in the word about following so that you would have an understanding of what you're actually getting into. See, see, I think that in, that, that, that in uh, uh, 2018, the way we do church in 2018, uh, that we're not doing a really good job of telling people what's expected of them when they say they want to follow Jesus Christ, especially down in the South. The South is a Bible Belt uh, uh, era, uh, area and territory, and in the Bible Belt, people go to church because that's what they do on Sundays. They go to church. But how many people are actually following Jesus that go to church on the weekends. I'm going to read you something in uh, Luke chapter number 14, 10 verses. Uh, I just think this is absolutely amazing. Starting at the 25th verse, here's what it says. A large crowd was following Jesus. Now, can we just stop right there? How, how impressed would you be if, if all the followers you currently have on Instagram right now showed up to where you were having brunch this afternoon? Wouldn't you be just a little bit like, I, I, I kind of got it going on. All 890 of the people that follow me on Instagram, when I take pictures of my salmon, they decided to turn up. It's fantastic. You would feel like a little bit like, man, I'm, I must be, I'm getting some, kind, I'm getting some influence. Y'all are tracking with me. You're not just double, d d d double tapping my pictures. You're actually showing up to where I am. Within 10 minutes of me posting, y'all turned up. This is awesome. Jesus has a following, Jesus. People are following you, sir. Come on, get them in. They're leaning into who you are. They're buying into your doctrine. They're, they're buying in to what you have to say. P pay attention. They love you, Jesus. Come on, Jesus. They love you. Come on, that's it. hook them now. Get them in. Get them in. You got, you got a perfect opportunity. Ooh, they want to hear the next thing's coming off your lips. Get ready to get them, Jesus. Here's Jesus. A large crowd was following him. 
He turned around and said to them, now, you got to go with me in my imagination. Bunch of people are following Jesus. And while they're following him, he does this. <laughs> he turns around, and what he's about to say to them, like, I don't think, I don't know if any pastor in America would, like, come at him like this. This is, just look at what we're about to read. This is the first thing he says. If you want to be my disciple, you must, by comparison, hate everyone else. Dang. <laughs> this, is, this is, like, right now? And this is what you want to talk about right now? Your father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. And if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. But don't begin until you count the cost. For who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there's enough money to finish it? Otherwise, you might complete only the foundation before running out of money, and then everyone would laugh at you. They would say, ha, there's that person who started that building and couldn't afford to finish it. Or what king would go to war against another king without first sitting down and with his counselors to discuss whether his army of 10,000 could defeat the 20,000 soldiers marching against him? Uh, and if he can't, he will send a delegation to discuss terms of peace while the enemy is still far away. So you cannot become my disciple without giving up everything you own. Salt is good for seasoning, but if it loses its flavor, how do you make it salty again? Flavorless salt. It's good neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It is thrown away. Anyone with ears should hear, anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. Dang, Jesus. Why you always roll like this? This is so different from the way other people do church. This is so different than the way other people do ministry because we're trying to figure out what appeals to you. We're going to take a poll with the church, see what temperature they like it at. Do they like it at 72 or 68? Is the music too loud? Is the worship too contemporary? Does it need to be more soulful? Do we have, we, we got to find out. We got to use the same metrics that the world is using to figure out what's trending so that we can bring it in and fill up our church. And our chief apostle is like, that's not how I get people. Like, the way I get people is completely different. I find out what it is you really like, then I tell you to give it up. <laughs> like the AC? It's going to be hot today. <laughs> oh, you like ice cream? Brussels sprouts. Like, like who, who, what are you doing? A rich young ruler comes up to Jesus. He starts a conversation with Jesus. He says, man, I know the Torah. I know the law. What else do I need to do? He says, well, you know, you got to honor your mother and father. and do all. He said, I already do all that. What else do I need to do? Jesus doesn't even complete the whole slow dance. As soon as he asked a follow-up question, he says, sell everything you have and follow me. And the guy that started the conversation wasn't even polite enough to go, well, you, listen, I have to go. <laughs> like, like, he literally just goes, <laughs> I did not see that coming. 
When I act the part, I got to complete it. So um, he left. And here's the thing. Jesus let him. Most people would have been like, hey, oh, no, I don't, not, okay, listen, I don't mean like, like slowly you're going to peel it off, like the more you walk with me, you know, the more you'll drop, and so I'm, you don't have to give up everything up front. Listen, I'll, talk, I'll teach the blessed life later, just 1%, and you'll work your way up to 10. Jesus is like, no, I'm pushing you into the deep end of the pool on our first conversation, because I don't want you to have to guess what I want from you. See, a true relationship is built on authentic communication. The thing that kills more relationships than any other category is uncommunicated expectations. We'll have a 90-second marriage seminar right here. The things that ruin relationships the most is not money, it's not relational problems, it's uncommunicated expectation. Let me elaborate. An uncommunicated expectation is when you, have a, when you have an expectation of me that I don't communicate, that you don't communicate, and when it's unfulfilled, you get mad. How many times has your spouse come home, hey, babe, how was your day? Fine. Are you okay? Yep. Uh, no, really, honey, is everything okay? Mm-hmm, yeah, no, it's, it's fine. You didn't pick up the milk, though. Did, did, you, did you tell me to pick up milk? When you looked in the refrigerator last night, did you see milk? <laughs> I, I wasn't paying attention because I was getting juice. <laughs> oh, but you didn't see the milk. But you know I like almond milk in my coffee every morning. And it, it, it just didn't dawn on you that you should have done that? How come you didn't just tell me to get you some milk? Why do I have to always tell you? You don't just love me enough to notice things and just do it for me? No, I need a cheat sheet. You want something from me, text me. It'll get done. But if you want me to read my mind, it's something I cannot do. What ruins relationships is uncommunicated expectations. It's when I have an expectation of you that I haven't communicated, and when you don't fulfill it, I get mad. If you don't believe me, ask Judas. Judas's portrayal of Jesus, betrayal of Jesus was simply because he had an uncommunicated expectation. I didn't want you to come establish your kingdom. I wanted you to overthrow Rome. My expectation of you didn't match, so I just sold you out. Jesus doesn't do that. At every single turn, Jesus is telling you, oh, you want to be my disciple? Before we keep walking, let me tell you what it's going to cost you. Which is a natural segue into my four points. Write the first one down. Discipleship could cost you relationships. Discipleship could cost you relationships. This is strong. 
if you want to be my disciple, you must, by comparison, hate everyone else. Your, your father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. Now, here's why the first point is discipleship could cost you your relationships. Because it doesn't mean it will. But here's what he's saying. By comparison, when you come into a relationship with me, by comparison, if it comes down between me and your mama, I am pausing for very dramatic effect. There's a lot of people in here that love their mama. Here's what Jesus said. On the first date, comes down between you and your mama, she got to go. Comes down between you and your daddy, he got to go. You and your spouse, they got to go. You and your kids, they got to go. If it comes down between me or you, you got to go. <laughs> First of all, who says this? How do you recruit people by attacking the stuff they love? Jesus is not looking for people to follow him based on the stuff he can do. He's looking, who's going fo- to follow me based on the stuff that I won't accept? And he's very, very clear with his expectations. Because Jesus is not interested in a relationship where it's a bait and switch. I'm going to promise you all this great stuff. A promotion's coming your way. A blessing's coming your way. A, a new salary increase is coming your way. new home is coming your way. A new car is coming your way. And then if you hit persecution, oh, I forgot to tell you about that. So here's how he recruits. I, he always recruits based on the worst case scenario. He's not mad about you having money. He's not mad that you live in a nice neighborhood. He's not mad that your children go to good schools. But here's what he says. If it comes down to me or all that stuff, I have to know that you'll give that stuff up. So whenever I talk to you, I always start with the worst case scenario. You want to follow me? Here's what's going to cost you. Your relationships. I'm not saying that you don't have to talk to your kids no more. All I'm saying is compared to me, if it came down between me, between me and your kids, your kids got to go. I gave my life to Jesus Christ January 14th of 1996. Within 24 hours, I lost all the friends that I had at that time. Not out of a disrespect, but out of a respect that I, that, that I had and that they had for me coming into my faith. They knew that I was now walking a different direction than them. I was walking a different direction, uh, uh, but they respected that. And I had to respect the fact that they did not walk in the same, that they, they were not willing at that time to walk in the same direction that I was walking in. 22 years later, we've had several of my friends uh, eulogized called me to do the eulogies. They've died. Others that are now committed to the faith and God used me to be instrumental in them coming into a relationship with Jesus Christ. And others that still ask me for prayer, they respect me because I made a decision to follow 
Jesus. And if it costs me some relationships, it's not worth the relationship that I have with Christ to keep the relationship with you. That's one. Here's two. Discipleship will cost you convenience. Discipleship will cost you convenience. Luke 14 and 27 says this, and if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. Here's the thing that's interesting about the language Jesus chose to use. When Jesus was crucified, he had to carry the horizontal beam on his shoulders to get to the cross. It was his responsibility to carry the horizontal beam, and he had to walk it to the vertical beam, and then they put the two together and hung him up. Here's what he's saying. If you're going to be my disciple, you have to live your life as if you are carrying that horizontal beam on your back every day. If you're going to be my disciple, I want you to have it in your mind that every single day there is a horizontal beam on your back and today might be a day that I have to be crucified. Today might be a day where God's asking me to die to myself. If you don't carry that cross, you cannot be my disciple. We know this is a hot church, honest, open, and transparent, but so by a show of hands, and as a senior pastor, I raise mine first, is there anybody besides me that is in a relationship with Jesus Christ uh, that there are times where you feel inconvenienced by him? I love this church. He's asking you to do stuff that you really don't want to do. And it's an inconvenience to your will, your way, Your pride, your ego, your personality, your attitude, your rhythm of life. You are just inconvenienced. He's telling you to love people you want to hate. He's telling you to die to stuff you want to live with. And it's a complete and utter inconvenience. Now, I know some of y'all have been saved for 72 years, and this is all you know now. So you're like, I couldn't imagine anything ever. There's nothing that the Lord asked me to do that I'm not willing to do. But for the rest of us that haven't been saved 72 years yet, here's why he says be consciously aware of the beam on your back. Because today might be a good day to die. It's an inconvenience to forgive people who in the natural seem absolutely unforgivable. It is a complete inconvenience to love people that seem absolutely unlovable. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Is there anybody in here beside me by show of hands, still remaining hot, that um, you, this is going to take some real honesty, but my hand's already up. You like some stuff he doesn't, I'm going to raise my leg, too. (laughs) Anybody here like some stuff he doesn't like, and you know he doesn't like it, and you know it's wrong, 
want you to, you know what, I'm, I'm going to help you disassociate for, just for a moment. We can do this spiritually. Uh, 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 and yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so let me put it in a different way. That way you can feel better about it. Um, <laughs> does your flesh like something? That's the best way I can try to disassociate you. <laughs> right? My, I don't like it at all, but my flesh. <laughs> it's desperately wicked. My heart. I don't, who can know it? It's so bad. I hate it. But this, my flesh, just likes it so much. Right? Anybody beside me? Okay. That's really an inconvenience. Especially when you've had it before you had him. So I love Dutch apple pie a la mode. I don't like it. I love it. Um, and it has to be Dutch apple pie, not regular plain apple pie. It has to be the Dutch with the little crumbles on it. And uh, I like it to be uh, warm. Uh, uh, I don't like it to be uh, room temperature. It has to be warm, okay? And what I would do is then I would take um, some vanilla bean ice cream, and I will put the ice cream on top of the apple pie. One of my favorite things to watch is to see the ice cream submit to the heat of the pie. Because <laughs> one thing's gonna overtake the other. And so I like to see the ice cream submit to the heat of the pie and the, 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 the cream start to melt into the crevices of those Dutch apple pie crumbles and, and start to just ooze into the apple pie filling. And when I put it in my mouth, there is a moment of worship that I experience <laughs> that I can only equate to when I'm in the presence of the Lord. Okay. Love it. Okay. If I were to find a scripture, right, I, I decided to just dig real deep into the Hebrew and the Greek, and I found out that apple pie was a sin. I have a problem. <laughs> I have an instantaneous problem. And because the reason why I have an instantaneous problem is because I've already given myself to it. And I like it. So I want it. But now I find something in scripture that says I can't have it. So now I have a problem because me finding the scripture did not make me not want to want it. Just because I know I can't have it anymore doesn't mean I don't still have a craving for it. So am I really going to follow Jesus when it only conveniences me? Or am I still following his direction when it inconveniences me? Can I take my appetite for the things I desire and inconvenience myself to keep following in the direction he's going? Because the direction he's going, there are no apple pie shops. In the direction that he's going, there's no ice cream vendors, nowhere. Haven't seen one since I've been with him. You do know I'm not talking about pie no more. I just wanted to make sure y'all caught the analogy. 
and, and, and you do know that if apple pie isn't your thing, you shouldn't judge me. Because it might be mine, but it might not be yours, but you do have one. Because that satanic baker knows your flavor. And so apple pie might be mine, lemon cake might be yours. Let's not compare. Let's just all agree that that baker has made some good stuff that will kill us. So what he says is, I want to walk you in a direction that's going to be really inconvenient for you. Because your fastest way to your destiny might be right down the street, passing the pie shop. But your character and your integrity will be compromised if you go down this street. So we're going to take the long way around. And I know that's an inconvenience to you. But I want to get you to your destination without having you compromise your integrity and your good name. Discipleship will cost you convenience. Point three, write this down. Discipleship will cost you everything. Everything. Luke chapter number 14, verse 33. So you cannot become my disciple without giving up Everything you own. You can have it all, Lord. We sing it. (laughs) Then we get into a tug of war after church. (laughs) Except for this, Lord. (laughs) It costs you everything. Anybody, by a show of hands, anybody in here been fortunate enough to build your own house? You, You built a house or... Had it built, okay? Um, uh, and, you know, you found out what it's going to cost, and it's 240 grand. Right? You're going to build this house, and it costs 240 grand. Um, and you get started on the project, and then they're like, ooh, wow, ooh, man. Found something in the dirt. You're like, I'm sorry, what dirt? You haven't even built a wall yet. You found something in the dirt. Yeah, I mean, took the soil samples, and, you know, this is Texas has, you know, some weird soil, and so, oh, going to have to put a little more rebarb down there, and before we pour the cement, and it's going to be 10 grand. So it's not 240 anymore? No, it's going to be 250. For the rest of us that haven't been that fortunate, have you ever watched HGTV? (laughs) Flip this house. Redesign my kitchen, right? It's going to cost $25,000 to do your kitchen. It's going to be amazing. 25 grand? Just 25 grand. Then they start knocking walls back, and then, uh (laughs) uh-oh, commercial. And you're like, huh? (laughs) What was the uh uh-oh? I missed it. He hasn't said it yet. Come back from commercial. You got mold. It's going to be eight grand. I already called Jimmy. He can do it for eight grand. (laughs) They have to manufacture, because you know the whole thing was edited and done all before, so they have to reenact it, and they're not actors, so they're just terrible. Oh, my gosh. Wow, what are we going to do? We don't have eight grand. We might have to call it off. You have a hole in your wall, lady. Call your mama. Get this money, right? We got to fix this. 
Then, okay, go ahead and do it. Right now, now it's a thirty-two, $33,000 project. It started, did you count the cost before you went into the build? Did you count the cost before you went into the finish out? Because when you give your life to Christ, he says, I want to tell you this up front because I don't want this to be a surprise later. It's going to cost you everything to follow me. I want you to understand that up front so when I come asking for stuff later, you're not shocked. I'm not telling you it's a one, two, three step, and then later on, surprise, I want something else. I'm telling you up front, this is going to cost you everything because now that I've gotten into your heart, I've found some mold. There's some mildew up here of rejection that you haven't dealt with in 20 years, and so I'm going to actually need you to get back up on that cross. I just got off. You just dealt with my low self-esteem. And I, I felt, I've experienced more freedom than I've ever experienced before. And he's like, yeah, but I, there's mold. There's rejection. And every time you get into a situation uh, where you feel rejected, PTSD kicks in, and you wind up running away from relationships, not based on what they've done, but based on what you've been through. I need to get, we need to get that off. Get back up there. This is the life of a disciple. And I want you to know that life isn't as glamorous as the blessings that perhaps could come with that life. I love when God does amazing things, supernatural things. He blesses you with with, with homes and blesses you with promotions and blesses you uh, uh, with with, with influence and blesses you with a family and and, and all this kind of stuff. But, but, But you have to die a lot to even enjoy that. And this is not a sexy message. This is not the high five your neighbor. Oh, my goodness. I'm going to be somebody. You will. You'll be him right after you die. Because he's never been interested in you being you. He's always been interested in you being him. Until you look like Christ, there's more work to do. It's going to cost you everything. And you just need to know that up front that if you're going to be at this church, this is by default, this is a discipleship house. This is a you going to grow up house. So you can come in with all kind of stuff. When I came to faith, I came in with all kind of stuff. But you can't stay like that. And we won't let you because we love you too much. So we're going to always be saying, come on, let's go this way. And you're like, no, just, just, just the way I am. No, that's fine. But you can't stay like that. Not in here. Come on, let's go a little bit further. I'm tired. That's great. Let's go. We're not interested in membership here. We're interested in residents. Let me tell you who's interested in memberships. 24-hour fitness. L.A. Fitness is interested in memberships, and I'm going to tell you why. Because they make more money off the people that don't come to the gym than the people that do. Membership requires no obligation, no accountability, 
You can come in this gym whenever you want to. You can work out however long you want to. And so you can be a member of 24-hour fitness and still have a jelly back. I don't even know what that is. I don't even know what picture I just put in your head. And you can still lack muscle tone, okay? And you can still be out of shape. And guess what? In a place that only cares about membership, they actually don't care about growth. When you get a personal trainer, what you've hired is a stalker. <laughs> you've paid somebody to hold you accountable. Get up. I don't feel like it. I'm at your door. Get up. We are going to do this work. I'm tired. Three more reps. I hate you. Come back tomorrow. Okay. <laughs> That's discipleship. That's where we want people to be at Embassy City Church. Disciples, not members. Members could care less if you grow or not. That's why you can be in church for 20 years and still have a bad attitude. Still hate people. Still be unforgiving. Still be bitter because you were never discipled. I'm telling you right now, if you come here, you will be discipled. And if anything about discipleship rubs you the wrong way, come hug me. And go find a membership class. Because we don't do memberships. We do engagements so you can become a resident. It's going to cost you everything. Last point, write this down. And write this down with an exclamation mark at the end because I want you to have some kind of like umph when you say this last one. Disciples have flavor. Disciples have flavor. Here's what it says in verses uh, 34 and 35. Salt is good for seasoning, but if it loses its flavor, how do you make it salty again? Flavorless salt is good neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It is thrown away. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. Let me tell you something. Anybody that chooses to live their life knowing it will cost them relationships, live their life, knowing it cost them their convenience, live their life knowing it cost them everything, wind up with a distinct flavor that everybody else can pick up on. God called us to be salt in the earth because of the way that we've committed our lives to following him. When you find a committed believer in Jesus Christ who has given up their will, their way, their agenda, their pride, their ego, there is a distinct flavor on them that everywhere they show up, people want to be around them. There's something different around you. There's a reason why I can be around agnostics, atheists, Muslims, people from every kind of background. They love me because of the distinct flavor on my life because I die a lot. I've made it a part of my life. God, if you find something, kill it. If you find something, I'll ask for forgiveness. If you find something, I will humble myself. Whatever you find, I'm willing to do it because I'm following your will and I'm following your way. Here's what Jesus says. Jesus says, if a, if, if a salt loses its flavor, it's good for nothing. Well, well, here's the thing. Salt can never lose its flavor. So what does he mean? Salt can never be unsalty. It's salt. If, if you found a, a, a little pot uh, through, through a means of excavation that was 3,500 years old and there was salt in it, it's still salty. Okay? It never loses its flavor. So if it can't lose its flavor, what does he really mean? 
He means don't let it get diluted. If you mix salt with something else, it can lose its distinct taste and flavor. Case in point, if I put one tablespoon of salt into a jar and then four cups of sugar into that jar, there would probably not be a palate in this room discerning enough to pick up on the fact that there is some salt in there. The sugar has overpowered the taste and distinct flavor of the salt. Here's what he's saying. Don't compromise in any way that makes your saltiness not even show up. That makes what I've called you to be not even showed up. Now, now let me say something else about salt. I love uh, salt uh, when, when something's not seasoned, right? That's one of the first things we reach for. If something is bland, I need some salt, right? And you sprinkle it on there, right? You don't unscrew the cap and pour it on there. Because here's the thing with salt. If there's a right amount on it, it makes the dish great. Too much on it, and it's ruined. It's one of the only spices. If you use too much of it, it's instantly ruined. Let me, let, me, let me reiterate something as it relates to his admonition to us to be salt. He wants us to be salt, not salty. Be the salt of the earth. Don't be salty in the earth. We have enough salty Christians. They just come in and pour themselves out on everybody. Nobody even asked. We were like, we, we were fine. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I, didn't, I did not ask for all this. This is, wow. My sodium count just went up and my blood pressure too. Could you back off a little bit? When, when, when you become a mature disciple of Jesus Christ, you walk into a room and go, I know exactly how much to sprinkle here. I'll get this. I know exactly how much of your love, your light, your, your, your hope to pour out in this atmosphere, and it'll just, it'll just take, care of this whole, it'll take care of this whole room because I don't have to do everything today. I don't have to win the soul today. You might want me to plant a seed. You might want me to water. This might be the day to get the increase, but right now I'm going to just sprinkle you into this room. Remember, uh, th there's this misconception that, that people think that Jesus hung around sinners. Right? He was always at somebody's house for dinner. He was always doing this. He was always doing that. Got to remember, sinners hung around Jesus. It wasn't the other way around. Jesus didn't have to go to the bar and take shots. I'm just trying to reach him. <laughs> what do you think I'm supposed to do? I visited my friend in Colorado. I had to roll a, a, a joint. It's legal here. I had to get high with him. How am I going to reach him if I don't get high with him? Mm -mm. That's not how that works. They wanted to be around Jesus. They were putting, okay, Jesus coming. It was the other way around. So, so Jesus, Jesus didn't have to be in the midst of some people getting a contact high to show that he's Emmanuel, God with us. People were literally putting it out going, hey, man, hi. I'm so glad you're here. I love you, man. I've heard a lot about you. You're so nice. You're different from these other people that are judging me. They're really salty. I've met so many angry Christians, bitter Christians. They're so salty. They're all in my Facebook. I don't know how to delete them. <laughs> Except all these people, and then they post, and you're like, how do I get rid of you? Why are you so salty? Be salt. Not salty.
Be disciples, not members. <laughs> be ambassadors, not just churchgoers. We are following a person, and it ain't me. It's Christ. This is us. We are disciples. We make disciples, and we literally salt the earth. This is us. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Thanks for listening to this week's message. If you would like to know more about Embassy City Church, please visit us at embassycity.com and follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Embassy Irving.